Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Well, good morning. I'm Steve. I also serve as a pastor here. And we're at the time of the service where we get to open God's Word together. Uh, This morning, we are continuing in our series, That You May Believe, where we're in the Gospel of John. So you can turn to John chapter 6. This can be found on page 1,657 in your pew Bibles if you want to have that passage open before you. I'm going to be reading from uh, the updated version of the NIV, so the words might look a little bit different at parts. Um, Before we read, though, I want to go and have a little bit of a recap of some of the things that we've said about the Gospel of John, particularly how John starts his Gospel. John starts his Gospel with, in the beginning. And in doing so, he's prompting us to know that something big is going to happen through the rest of the Gospel. He starts this way to let the people know that whoever this person is, is nothing short of someone who is going to change the course of all of creation. That's the full scope of the story that's going to come. So each story that follows has the potential to point us back to the salvation that Jesus brings, this wholeness of that salvation. Now, when we open the series, we also use that language of new creation to talk about what Jesus brings. Jesus is bringing something new, This was because the current direction of things was not great. Um, Something happened in creation. In that creation story, Genesis 1 to 3, humanity rebels against God. We can call it sin, disobedience, rebellion, missing the mark, pride. Whatever we want to call it, humanity got it into their heads that They could rule creation on their own, without God, apart from God. That even though they were appointed as priests to take all of creation, to bring it into its fullness as an expression of glory to God, they thought that they could take it for themselves, for their own pleasure, for their own gain. They figured they could rival God in his glory, in accepting the glory of the praise of creation. So the first act of sin is depicted like this. It is a taking and eating. It's a simple motion. It's the movement to the tree, the taking of the fruit and enjoying it, but but not delighting in it as something wonderful from God, but a selfish enjoyment something that rather than pointed upward just goes right back at the person themselves. As a result, there is chaos and death. Let's see, represented by these swirly lines. There's something weighing them down. All of creation is impacted by this. And the Genesis 3 story is one where humanity doesn't want to share the goodness of God's creation with anyone. It's hoarded for themselves. They kind of take it all. 
And the selfishness would grow, the pride would grow, and it would cause rifts to all of creation. All of creation gets impacted by the swirly lines. So like a kingdom being ruled by an unjust king, the whole of creation suffers in various ways. The passage from Genesis 3 tells us the work that we are to do that was supposed to bring us pleasure ends up being reduced to toil. Our relationships, how we treat one another as men and women, that too will be frustrated. It was humanity turned inward, wanting to take all of creation, the whole of the world, simply for themselves. And the rest of the human story is a lot of this. It's a lot of taking and eating, taking and eating for themselves. Every selfish action is like a bite of fruit, leaving more death and destruction in its wake. Taking and eating is that story of humanity trying to do things on their own. We have, we have lots of kind of taking and eating stories in our broader culture today, whether it's placing trust in technology or medical system, our country, the political system, or even social justice systems. Whatever we turn to to try manufacture meaning for ourselves, when we try to do that apart from God, not as a way of glorifying God, it ends us leaving us hungry. With that in mind, Let's read our passage this morning. Our passage has some obvious connections to the Exodus story, but I want us to be thinking all the way back to the Genesis story as well. I want to have that in the back of our minds and pay attention to the repetition, how John does what he's been doing throughout this whole gospel so far. He's been taking really simple words, really simple images, and he layers them over and over. So it's going to be a bit of a longer reading. We're reading from verse 32 to 51. Um, but it's good. Uh, before reading, let's pray. Dear Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. May your spirit who first inspired these words of scripture work in our hearts this morning, illuminating what you have to say to us. Amen. Amen. starting in verse 32. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all he has given me, but raise them up in the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? 
Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up in the last day. It was written in the prophets, they will, be, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father has learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This, is, this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to him, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to him, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For God had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and which would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12, yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the 12, was later to betray him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, it is said that we are what we eat. And that is true in a way that's perhaps just a little more literal than we would like. We literally actually transform food, the stuff that we eat, into us. It's 
kind of remarkable. Really, we can take an apple, spinach, beef. We can break it down and have it transformed to us. Uh, we are made from foodstuffs. Now, there's a tragic part of this, though. Eventually, it points towards our frailty, our, our limitations, our mortality. After all, everything that we eat has already died. The energy it produces is temporary. And we are made of the very same stuff. I don't want to ruin your relationship with your fridge, uh, but I think it's a memorable image, and it works with the theme for today, so I'll say it. Um, I was once told that fridges are like morgues. They hold things that are decaying and keep it cool to slow down the process. They're reminders in our kitchen of how fleeting life can be. We can dress up food and transform it to a tasty meal, but that doesn't change what it is. It's just more material stuff on its way towards decay. We are what we eat. We are mortal. Or as John would say, we are flesh. Actually, he, he says this twice in here, in verse 49 and 58, if you want to look at it. Your ancestors ate manna and died. Um, even, even the bread from heaven that God provided, it's just more of that same stuff. We are the stuff of the world, separated from God, unable to grasp true life on our own power. By taking and eating for its own sake, we are left as ourselves without lasting life. The best we can do is eat. Uh, enter into that process of decay. And if that sounds kind of sad, kind of weird, weird feeling, then I think we're on track to hear what John has to say to us here. John is assuming that we need a new access to life. And remember, John starts his gospel with in the beginning to signal that Jesus is a new creation type person. He is the type of person that can bring true life. That's one of the central themes that we actually find in our passage. The word life comes up over and over again. Let's just look at some of these examples. Just hear the word life come up in reference to Jesus. Verse 33, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Verse 40, everyone who looks at the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. Verse 47, the one who believes has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life, again. Verse 51, this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the whole world. Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Verse 63, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Verse 68 and 69, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I can't read this passage without thinking of an old professor of mine. 
had an Australian accent. He taught New Testament theology, and whenever he talked about Jesus or the Gospels, he would say, it's about life, and it just got cemented in my mind. That's just how I hear it. I won't say the accent again, but it's about life. That's what this is all about. And he got that emphasis because that's what Jesus keeps on saying about himself, who he is and what he brings. He is about life. This isn't just limited to our passage here in John chapter 6. It goes on throughout the gospel. A great example of this is from John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus' claim is that he doesn't just bring life, but he brings life in abundance, in its fullness, not just ordinary life, but life that is filled up to the brim. It's so much life that when you look at the bread, uh, this, what we just read, just came at the heels of Jesus feeding 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish, and there were 12 baskets left over. There was so much life that there is abundance left over. Everyone had their fill and more. A central claim in the passage comes in verse 51. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. This is a big claim. Somehow, eating a new type of bread, which is also flesh, will transform you. In saying this, we also remember how food works. Food transforms into us. When we eat it, we transform it into us. And since our food is just more material stuff, more stuff from a world of decay, we too are destined for that same path. Being in the flesh, we cannot avoid the fact that we are people of the world. We have a few tricks up our sleeve. We have technology that can help elongate life a little, but we cannot access eternal life by any means. Jesus says here that he is a different type of food. It doesn't have the little swirly lines in it. And that the type of food that he is, it works differently. It, it, it reverses that process. When you eat this bread you actually become more like it. And he's not saying that you become bread. He's saying that the effects of death, the, the limitation of only being in the flesh, that that is what gets transformed. He's saying when you ingest me, when you take all that I am, and have it within you, when you allow me to abide in you, it will transform your very being. You cease to be flesh that is only flesh from below. You become spirit-infused flesh. You become a meeting place of above and below. Your life becomes forever attached to God. Just as taking and eating wrongly brought out all this disorder within the world, Jesus returns to the image of taking and eating, consuming life from above to communicate the type of healing that brings life for the whole world. The only condition then for this, how do we get this? 
what things do we need to do to get this type of bread is to consume him, or in terms of our passage, to believe in him. And it might sound simple, but this is no small change. He says, abide in me. Allow my teachings, my words, my life to run through your whole being. Consume me and allow it to change you as a whole person. There's no partial way into this. You can't just have parts of him and leave the other stuff behind. You can't just take salvation without the change that Jesus brings. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Death comes through one type of eating, one that's separated from God, one that's selfishly looking to fulfill one's own desires. Take and eat of me and you will be restored. This is an act of restoration that's meant to undo all of the impacts of sin. Think back to Genesis 3. When death enters into the world through sin, it's not just death. It's not just the shortening of life. It impacts all of creation. And Jesus' new life that he brings reverses that. It gives life. All the shadows of death that people encounter through oppression, through injustice, through neglect, through trauma, through life as it is not supposed to be, Jesus says, I am working to undo all of that. My flesh coming into the world is bringing a new sort of creation, one that undoes the brokenness of this world, one that you are invited to participate in. And Jesus says that you can't do this without me. This isn't a program. This isn't something that you can just study. You actually have to ingest me. Allow your stomach to break it down and enter into your sinews so that you will be people from above as well. I'm not coming to take you out of the earth, but to transform you as people from above. This comes alongside the promise that Jesus stays with whoever believes in him. You can see that in verse 56 here. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. That word remains in other translations might show up as the word abide. It is a staying with. It's a closeness. It's a friendship. The one who abides, the one who remains, is one who allows Christ to transform them, who allows this day-to-day transformation to take place. It's not an immediate transformation then to the finished product in taking this bread. It's not that once you've tasted of God's goodness, once you believe you're immediately changed into perfection, that's not what he's saying here. It's saying you have now access to the source of life from above, a life that not even death can stop. You will turn back to this life source over and over again. This is now where you quench your thirst, where you quench your hunger. As you abide in him, as you come back to the table again and again, you'll be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. Now, the result of all of this is eternal life. 
And, and notice in the repetition here in eternal life, eternal life is something that comes in the present. The one who believes has eternal life. They already have it. And one of the reasons why John can talk about eternal life entering into the present this way, one of the reasons why Jesus references this way, is because eternal life isn't just about an extended duration of our life, but it's about a quality of life that we have. We can think about it in terms of eternal life being the opposite of what we find as the result from Genesis 3. Life after life in the garden is a life of decay, tainted by our pride and our selfishness. Life after the garden is one where there's oppression and injustice. Eternal life is the one that is opposite of that. It has a different quality to it, something that is found in him. So eternal life is something that is in the present, and it undoes the effects of sin here and now. And it is also a promise that extends into eternity, where God will preserve us after death. Just like in Genesis chapter 3, where death is so much more than the fact that people will die, eternal life is so much more than an extension of our lifespan. Being a person of eternal life means the transformation of life here and now. It means seeking justice for the oppressed. It means restoring relationships with our families. It means actually being transformed and changed as we take in Christ. Now, being invited to change like this can be hard. And that's exactly the response of the people that heard this first message. This is a hard teaching who can accept it? Notice, at the end of this story, people actually end up leaving. I think if we're honest, we can hear ourselves in these words. We are asked to abide in, our, in Christ, to have a complete change, body and soul. We are asked to take in Jesus in such a way that it changes every relationship, how we relate to God, how we relate to people, how we relate to the world. It changes how we see systems that we're a part of. It involves confronting ourselves and others and systems that we might say with the original listeners that this teaching is hard. We have to confront these things in ourselves and in others. And when they say this, Jesus doesn't back down and say, well, actually, no, I can make it easier. The truth is that, that this change can be hard. It can be a challenge to resist oppressive systems. It can be hard to seek forgiveness in your personal relationships. But the thing is, we don't do it on our own. We don't do it in our own strength. You enter into these things as those who are being transformed with, with this bread of life working in you, the work of the Spirit working within you. Now, what can this look like? Um, what's kind of an example? Where, how can this land? I think just to explore this a little bit, we can go back to what might be a familiar face to some of us. 
It's familiar if you attended here during our series in James. This is Josephine Butler, someone that lived in the 1800s. And I want to revisit her story because she gives an example of this sort of thing. It is through her abiding in Christ that she begins to befriend people in her city that are on the fringes of society. It is through her relationships that she begins to take people in who are considered unclean, those who are associated with brothels, those who were abused not just by individuals but by entire systems that had them at the bottom. She was familiar with taking and eating and how that leads to destruction. And she dedicated decades of her life both living with and caring for these people and also advocating for changes in the systems that kept them down. When you read her journals, when you look at what was motivating her throughout these decades of working towards justice, Over and over, it is coming from abiding in Christ. It is daily going back to nourishment to the one who brings transformation from within. In the face of darkness on its own, it could be be easy simply to accept defeat. She could have made it about herself. She could have looked at herself and said, all of this help that I'm doing for others to try and make myself feel good, to feel better about myself, to try create meaning on my own power. It's not working. It's failing. I try to nourish myself with the good that I'm doing, and I just leave with an empty stomach. But instead, over and over, we find that she turns to Christ. And this turning to him doesn't take her further from the world, doesn't take her out, but her propels her into it. Renewed by life in Christ, She sees every kind act, every step towards justice, not as something to fill her ego, but as something that brings the world back to what it should be. It's another movement of the kingdom of God coming in. It is eternal life bursting forward into the world right now. We can ask of ourselves, are we people who go back to that source of life? Are we in the day-to-day going to Christ for nourishment, expecting that he will change us and even invite us into a change that is challenging? Or do we grumble and say, this is too hard, as though we think that we might have to try to do it all on our own strength? Jesus invites the people with these words, this bread is my flesh which I give, which I give for the life of the world. Do we see that deeper invitation that is within this? That he is the one giving this life from within. Now, what are some practical ways that we might be able to take this into our community? One way is simply by starting with listening. Uh, The Community Flourishing Team at Living Hope, uh, we're actually going to have our first meeting in a couple of weeks. And part of the first homework that we were given from the denomination was to read the local paper, to take time to look at what flyers are out there, to see what's happening in our neighborhoods. And the main point there is that it's hard to see the places where we can be a blessing 
It's hard to see the places where hurt and need are if we aren't looking and listening. Even if you're not on the team, you're invited to look around with us. What opportunities are there to be a blessing where we are? Uh, One really practical way that just came up this past Thursday uh, came through the Margaret Stenerson Breakfast Program. So uh, if you don't know, um, every Thursday morning at the local elementary school, we serve uh, breakfast for the kids that are at the school. And just this past Thursday, uh, one of the service workers came up to us and asked if there was anybody at our church that could provide mentorship, that could just come alongside and walk with some of the children that don't have positive role models in their lives. It's, it's these types of opportunities that come when we have our eyes open to what are some of the needs within our communities that allow us to come in and be a blessing. By the way, if you want to be part of that, you can let me know. That's a, a newer thing that just came up. And that's just an opportunity that came up in the last few days. One of the ways that we can be living into the call of being a people that undo the forces of chaos through restored relationship. Now let me finish by going back to the garden story, kind of where we began, looking at Genesis chapter 3. Do we know, remember how that Genesis 3 story finishes? It finishes with God putting an angel with a flaming sword at the entrance of the garden. He drives them out of the garden. He drives them out because the story of taking and eating comes with every sort of oppression, every sort of injustice. And to live in the midst of the sin, to continue to have access to the tree of life, wouldn't be any sort of life. Humanity can't live forever in that state of constant decay, so God banishes them from being able to access the tree of life. He drives them out so that they cannot access this. When Jesus offers a new source of life here, this new source of life he says, will always be accessible. Just look at verse 37. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. In other words, this isn't going to be like the garden. This new life that Jesus is offering, this new direction with God, is something that cannot be lost. Jesus will make sure of this when he gives himself for the life of the world on the cross. They will never be banned from this source of life because Jesus takes on the guilt, the shame, the brokenness of the world. He takes on every individual sin. He takes on sin itself. Since that is taken care of on the cross, there is forever access to the one who is true life, and Jesus can say, I will never drive you away. And we go from here reminded of this. To come to Jesus, to believe in him, to fill your hunger with the bread of life and you will never be driven away. Abide in him and be transformed. Go with the confidence of eternal life. 
Eternal life is more than just eternity, but it is repeated in the passage. We will be raised up in the last day, but more than that, we go with eternal life bursting out into the present, renewal entering into the day-to-day. The curse is defeated. Remember, it is God who works within you. The one who calls you is faithful. If he promises life, he will give it. Let's pray. Lord, we are hungry people needing the true bread that comes from heaven. May we be a people who don't simply seek the world to consume it. We repent of the ways that death and darkness show up in our lives. Drive us from such selfishness and pride. Give us a new way to see the world. May we see it through belief in you. In our belief, in our abiding in you, may it be like bread, a bread that transforms us through and through. Help us to take the things of the world as a way to glorify you to restore broken relationships, to seek justice, to see healing, to see the dignity of each person that we meet. Fill us with this eternal life, a type of life that changes how we live each day, the type of life that will go on forever till that day where you set all things right and you raise us up to be with you. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.